The title of the word I want to share today is called Unburdened. What does unburdened mean to you and me? Unburdened is when you were carrying a weight and the weight is lifted off you. Hallelujah. Maybe the weight was anxiety or a health issue or a financial challenge or a relationship issue. But when God takes that weight off you, you really are unburdened. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And today I want to look at how God unburdens us. And I'm calling it blessed subtractions. Because when we talk about God taking the weight off our shoulders or unburdening us, very often we see blessing as something God gives us. I want to redeem that concept today and say that sometimes when God takes something away from you, that's even more a blessing. Yes. Hallelujah. And I want to look at that today and see how we can apply it to our lives. Um, you might know this song, Ben is going to play it, he just did a little bit there, written by Matt Redmond. If you want to know what the song is about, it's very moving. But Matt Redmond, across the water in the UK, wrote this. And it's all about God giving and taking away. Let's just remind ourselves of what it sounds like. My trusted troubadour, Ben Jonas, take it away, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Respect to you, brother. Praise God. 
So that's what we're going to look at today. Because as soon as I say God takes away, we always get a negative picture in our heads. Can I say, I remember years ago, a, a guy became a Christian. He was dating a girl who wasn't a Christian. And it turns out it was a really toxic relationship. In effect, she was destroying him. And I remember him saying to me, we were singing that song at the time, and he said, when all of ye sing that song, I hate it, because I don't want God to take her away. But you know, it would have been way better for him, because he got into a relationship, it didn't work out, she ended up destroying him, he lost his mind, she broke his heart, she took all his money, it was a disaster. Sometimes when God takes something away from us, it's a blessed Amen. subtraction. And it takes someone with a bit of maturity, spiritually. You might be 15 and have that maturity. And you could be 55 and you could be like a baby. But we need to realize, if God takes it away, it's for our good. Amen. Hallelujah. But I want to just look at how God takes something away and it is, it's just a no-brainer. Um, I always think of what Job said when stuff was happening in his life. And Job said, naked I came into the world and naked will I leave it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Can you say amen to that? I know sometimes it's hard and sometimes we don't get it. But one day we will. Hallelujah. So what does God take away? God takes away so much that we don't need in our lives. He takes away shame. How many of us carry shame because of what the culture is telling us? I was quite disturbed. I was reading an article just earlier on this week and I felt it really spoke to me because it was saying the suicide rate among young girls is now reaching the same level as the suicide rate among young boys, teenagers and young adults. And they're saying it's really, this is in Western Europe, it's really to do with social media. You have to have a pretty face. You have to have a certain figure. You have to have the right clothes. You have to have enough money. You have to have loads of adoring friends. Now who can keep up with that? And the thing is, when you're young and you don't have the life experience to uh, interpret that, a whole lot of people think they're failures. There was always a thing with boys that way, if they felt they weren't tough enough or good at sports or popular, but now it seems to be girls. And so there is a shame in the culture, but the God I know takes away shame. There are so many examples in the Bible. There's someone in the Bible who, when, if a woman couldn't have a child in the Bible, times it was seen as shameful, not by God, we'll say amen, amen. but by society, the culture culture changes if we really are impacted by what they think bigger fool us because they don't know whether you're dead or alive it's what he thinks and it's what the important people god has in our lives thinks he takes away shame look at this god remembered rachel he listened to her and opened her womb she conceived and gave birth to a son calling him joseph saying god has taken away my shame you see, God cares, even if he doesn't see something as shameful, he cares. And so God takes away the shame. Isn't it a blessing when God takes away shame? Yeah. Hallelujah, take it away, Lord, we don't need it. God takes away insanity. 
Now, insanity is the extreme end of mental health issues. And again, there is a pandemic of mental health problems across all generations. I was just reading <clears throat> in the Irish news feed there the other day how people over 75 now account for 25% of the people in Ireland who are on antidepressants. A lot of people who are elderly are very lonely. A lot of them are really struggling with getting old. So from teenagers to elderly people, there is just an outbreak of mental health. Insanity is the extreme version where you totally lose your mind. But the God I know heals broken minds. Maybe not always when we want him to do it, but I've seen him do it so often. There's a, an example in the Bible of the most powerful man in the world who lost his mind. He was an emperor. He wasn't even a Jew or an Israelite in the Old Testament. Daniel the prophet wrote this about the emperor Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of that season of insanity, I looked up to heaven and my insanity was taken away. Then I praised the Lord. I will glorify him forever. Now, we might think grand, but the thing is, if you look into the original, then I praised Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. He wasn't an Israelite. He was the emperor of Babylon. They were anything but believers. But he knew it was the God of the Bible who healed his mind. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. Hallelujah. And God moved, and he became a believer, and it changed the course of history. But God took away his insanity. God takes away depression. Amen. Sometimes he uses doctors and medication. Of course he can. But sometimes he does it miraculously. Amen. And he takes away depression, and thoughts of suicide, and social anxiety, and panic attacks. God is well able. And let's praise him when he takes things away. He takes away sickness. You know, John the Beloved Apostle, who was very close to Jesus, said at the end of his gospel, there aren't enough books in all the world to record the amount of miracles and healings and the wonderful things Jesus did. But everywhere Jesus went, there were miracles. Now, if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, do you not think we should expect some miracles today? I'm not saying we demand them. I'm not saying we command God to a miracle. I'm not saying I want it. No, but surely that should be part of our experience. So not only in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, God took away sickness. Here's an example, Exodus 23, 25. As you serve the Lord your God, he will bless you. And he will take away your sickness. Amen. You might say, I'm sick right now, or I'm struggling, and he hasn't taken it away. Can I say, God hasn't written the final chapter of your life yet? Amen. God is well able to heal. I don't know why he doesn't always heal according to my timetable or your timetable, but I know for sure he heals. Hallelujah. Amen. He takes away condemnation. Um, the fact that you're in here today actually tells me a lot about you. I don't think you, I know now a lot of people who can walk here, came here, but even then, it's a bank holiday weekend. I know the sun always shines in Ireland, it doesn't. 
but the weather is glorious. We live on the coast ourselves. You can see all the cars heading to the coast while the weather is good. It's a bank holiday weekend. The weather is great. The city has been closed off because of the city marathon. And then we've roadworks on the street. I mean, everything is blocking us trying to come to church today. Yet you're here. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That tells me that you take your faith seriously. You wouldn't come here. What is the social or the economic benefit of coming to the church? We don't live in the Bible Belt, where if you're not seen in church, you won't get a promotion and work on the contrary. So the fact that you're here tells me you've got a sensitivity to what God wants in your life. And that's why you and I can very easily slip into feeling condemned. But the Bible says, you know this verse, Romans 8.1, there is no what? No condemnation. no condemnation for true Christians. The spirit of life has set you free from it. Now, the Holy Spirit convicts. You see, if I do something wrong or I don't do the right thing and I get a conviction, it will bring repentance and that will make me change my course of travel and that I won't do it again. So conviction always brings life. Hallelujah. But when the evil one puts you or me into condemnation, we give up. Our, our hearts faint. That word is used in the Bible for believers. Don't faint in the day of trouble. And we faint and we feel like a failure. And then the evil one slips in and tells us we're no good. Forget it. You're just not a Christian. You will never make it. I've heard it a lot of times. I'd say I was about 19 when I, when I read the verse where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Yes. Tell the enemy, get behind you, don't listen to it. Because, quote the Bible, there is now no condemnation. The old King James Version says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Because if you're not, you can be. You don't have to leave here without being in him. And there will be no more condemnation. And if you are in him, don't accept it. He takes away condemnation. He takes away loneliness. Hallelujah. Another plague in our society today. Look at this verse. The Lord places the lonely in families. And he leads the prisoners out to liberty. I can remember growing up here in the city of Cork. And I remember about 20 minutes walk away from here. 25 minutes is where I grew up. And everybody knew each other on the street. As children, we were in and out to one another's houses. I was talking to my five-year-old granddaughter yesterday and how she gets driven to school like most kids. I was four. And um, after one week, I walked to school myself, just like everyone else of my generation. We knew each other. We were in and out of each other's houses. Sometimes to do your head in. Like, but, you know, there was real community. I can remember when my mum got sick and she got a brain tumour and had to go to hospital. The neighbours were coming and checking on us. We were teenagers cooking dinner and all that. There was real community, but now there's way less community. So we have to build community. When I grew up, it was just automatic on the street where you lived. But now we have to be more intentional. That's why we have put a lot of time and money and effort into creating spaces in our building here where we can build community. So that's why we've got an atrium upstairs with free coffee for people to connect if you want to. 
because we probably don't have a lot of community where we live. It's why we do happy birthdays and all of that. We're building community. It's not happening just because it's happening. It's intentional. This is part of our vision. It's who we are. But God takes lonely people and places them in families. Now, sometimes that, very often it's the traditional way. Boy meets girl, they fall in love, they get married, they have kids, they have family. But it takes a village to raise a child. We need more than just mommy and daddy. We need a wider circle. And if you're an immigrant family, that can be difficult if your parents or grandparents aren't here. That's why the church needs to be a community. And very often the family that God puts lonely people in is families like this who will say amen. amen. Are we open to that? Yes. That's why we are called to be a family. So you may not have a husband or wife or you may not have physical children. Perhaps you've got social children, spiritual children. A friend of mine, a pastor from the north, um, when he retired... He had another guy come in to take over the church and be pastor. And we were talking about him. He has four daughters. He never had a son. And we were chatting last week. I was at a pastor's gathering. And he was saying, the guy who had taken over, he said, he's like my son. He honestly is like my son. I didn't have a son, but this guy is like a son. Paul, the great apostle, was never married. So if you're not married, that's okay. You don't have to be married. Amen. Amen. If you want to be married, hallelujah, God is for marriage. But you don't have to be. Not everyone is called. And Paul wasn't married. He didn't have any children. And yet Timothy was his spiritual son. It was a father-son type relationship. So God places the lonely in families. God takes away loneliness. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. He gives us community and he shows us the way to go. Let me look at one more thing. And this is really important. I touched on this about five or six years ago. Many of you will know this story. I sense God wants me to say it today. God takes away identity curse. You see, I think a lot of us, because of our background, carry around, we might never say it, a bit of an identity issue. Kind of didn't come from the right family in whatever way. And the God I know takes away any shadow, Amen. any curse from our family background. Some of our families might have struggled with addiction. Some of our families might have struggled with suicide or depression. Perhaps we feel as an immigrant family, we're not connected to the right people. Perhaps our family just never had an educational achievement. There's all different issues. But there's a guy, and many of you will know this guy, or you know of him, Jabez. If you haven't read this, it's really short. It's about two or three sentences in the Bible. And he's only briefly mentioned. But what this guy achieved was incredible through God. And we're only given a little bit of information. But we can see it in 1 Chronicles 4.9. Jabez was more honourable than his brothers and peers because he served the Lord and he lived to do good among men. So far, so good. He was more honorable than all his physical brothers, and peers means all the people his own age, his generation. This guy stood out in his generation. Why? He wanted to serve God and do good among men. I want to hang out with him. 
He's the kind of friend we need, isn't it? No, I prefer the bad guys. Forget the bad guys. Girls, don't fall in love with the bad guys. Will the men say amen? amen. Fall in love with men who are Christians. Amen. Christian boys, don't fall in love with the bad girls. They're trouble. Fall in love with a good Christian girl. Amen. Would the women say amen? amen. Oh, that was very encouraging. Hey. <laughs> so here we have an honorable guy. He seems to have been reared well. But what happened? At birth, his mother called his name Jabez, saying he was born in pain and sorrow. We mightn't think too much about having a, a name like that, but we got to go back into the culture. Everywhere you went, your name carried who you were. Your parents choose the name carefully, and that was your identity. I love some of the African kids, and I asked them their names, and they'd say, Precious, Joy, Faithful, whatever the name. I mean, that's what we're talking about. But this guy, his name was Pain and Sorrow. How are you doing, Pain? <laughs> Praise the Lord, we have sorrow with us today. If we're to really understand the Bible, we've got to put ourselves in the Middle Eastern culture. Because the Bible is written in the Middle East back then, and your name was huge. So here's a good guy. I've often wondered, and I've been reflecting on this all week. I think, perhaps, I don't know for certain, but this is my opinion. Perhaps the pain and the curse of identity this guy had caused him to turn to God. And caused him, because he knew the pain of that identity curse, and he looked to God early on in life as a way of getting through. You see, even our pain, God can turn to good. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So what did Jabez do? We're told. Jabez prayed to the Lord saying, Would you bless me, Lord? Enlarge my territory. Keep me from harm and take away the pain. And God answered his Prayer. Hallelujah. Amen. That tells us that right up to whatever he was in his 30s, he was carrying pain. He was honoring God. He was helping his fellow man. But all the time he was bringing pain with him. And maybe you've come in here today and you've got pain in your heart. Or maybe you're carrying some type of pain from the background and the identity your family had. But what I know is this guy had such a disadvantage, but he turned to God and he prayed all these prayers. So when it says God answered his prayer, it meant God really blessed him. It meant God enlarged his territory. In other words, he began to prosper. He began to take on more. God blessed him and enlarged his territory. He kept him from harm. Do we need that? Yes. Oh, yes. And he took away the pain. You see, the thing is, it doesn't tell us that Jabez changed his name. It doesn't tell us he said, I'm coming out as whatever. No, he still had his name. But in here he was different. Amen. And with God something changed. And that worked out in his everyday life. Amen. So something powerful happened. And God answered his prayer. You know, I just feel stirred to share this. I grew up in a family that was very involved in business. 
And I, I want to speak if you're an immigrant family here, because I've heard people say from immigrant families living here in Cork, I don't fully know the system and how things work in this country. I certainly don't know the right politicians, the right lawyers, who the best people are in local government. I don't know them. My family knew them. My father was a very successful businessman. I remember at the age of 10 going to a big political conference and my father shaking hands with all the powerful politicians because he wanted to get favours for the businesses he was involved in. He, we knew how to work the system. We would buy land as a family around the edge of the city, agricultural land that you would get fairly cheap. And then we would apply for planning permission to build houses on it because that would increase the value of the land. But you know how we applied for planning permission? We would do it all only in Irish. And then when the posters went up and it was advertised in the paper, most of the people had no idea what it was about. They just skipped it. It was only the Irish language speakers who knew what it was about. And so you cut down your opposition. And we got planning permission in all of the land we needed it because we knew how to work the system. We knew the politicians. And you might say as an immigrant family, I don't know the right people. Let me tell you this, know Jesus and you have it. All the advantages you want. Hallelujah! Know him! He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know Michal Martin, he was the Prime Minister Taoiseach, he's now the Deputy. I knew him personally, he's the same age as me, came from over the road, Nice man that he is, and I'm not making any assertions at all in him, but you don't need to know me, Hall Martin. You need to know Jesus. He's our advantage. One with God is a majority. Hallelujah. Come on, let's get it into us. If you're an immigrant family and you're going, I don't know the right people, know Jesus. Know him. Because he will help you. He takes away our pain. He takes away our condemnation. He takes away our loneliness and our sickness. Hallelujah. He takes away our identity curse. Why should you be known because of a shadow on your family? Because dad was an alcoholic, or mum suffered from depression, or the family was struggling with poverty or whatever. This is a new day. You have a new life because when we are born again, we have a new life in Jesus. Hallelujah. I like what the old theologian says about Jabez. Matthew Poole was his name. He says, in effect, Jabez prayed, Lord, do not let me have and do not let me carry the pain and sorrow that my name implies. I can remember going to the dentist at 14 and I was inside in the waiting room and there was a lady there and she said, uh, what's your name? This is how it used to be in Cork. You know, you'd ask people questions and I told her, Tom Burke is my name. She said, where are you from? And I told her, Polduff Road. And she said, isn't that where the business people are who have the caravans and all that? And I said, yeah, that's my family. She knew straight away who my family were and I could see her attitude change. That happened many times. Equally, if we say our name and our family is notorious or well-known for, I don't know, crime or drunkenness or whatever, we can carry that. The thing is, in Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus washes all that clean. 
And the advantage previously, forget it. My advantage is knowing Jesus. And the disadvantage, he wipes that clean. We're new men and new women in Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. I'm, I'm just going to, this is my last scripture quote. But I'm going to ask you to stand and that we would say it together. Could you stand? Let me just read it out. You know this, Isaiah 40. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We're going to read it out. We're going to read it out together. But this is about who we are. Let's think of your future. Not just tonight and tomorrow. But for the rest of the year. And the following year. And all the days of your life. Because we have such an advantage. That with the greatest of respect. Some of the most powerful men in this city. And in this country do not have. We've got Jesus. So let's just declare it out together. The count of three, we're going to read it out together. Can I ask you, you're saying it to the Lord, you're saying it to the devil. Yes. We're saying it to ourselves and to one another. Let's read God's word together. One, two, three. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar up like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and will not be faint. Who will say hallelujah? hallelujah? Hallelujah. Praise God. Could the band come up? Stay standing. We're going to sing that song. Blessed be your name. That we just sang a while ago. But we're going to sing it. And I want you to think of all the blessed subtractions in your life. We want to redeem it. In just a moment we're going to call an altar call for prayer. If you have something that you know you want God to take away from you. A blessing isn't just receiving. A blessing is something leaving you. There was a song when I was a teenager by a guy called Cat Stevens. I've been followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. And about this depression following him. We break that in Jesus' name. We're followed by the Lord. We follow him. No shadow over us. So may God bless you and keep you from harm and enlarge your territory and take away your pain. Amen.